Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 80. We're proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, all the way out in Philadelphia, home of Will Smith, the genie, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Michael, welcome back on air this week. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be back. And all the way down south in the Bluegrass State, home of bourbon, horses, and Michelle Wintering. You got it. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. You hosted last week a best of episode. Oh, yes. Just just a little bit of my voice you got on there. I think a whole 90 seconds. That's a long time. <laughs> Guys, it is so glad to be back, and we are glad to be back with you. We want to hear from you, so make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. That takes you over to all of our friends over at the XPN Network. Make sure you also get a hold of us. It is 614-681-1798. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or someone hit them up with the hashtag. Hashtag SSPod and speech underscore science on Instagram. You guys are killing it on Instagram. Just let me say that right now. Thanks, man. No problem. I am. I have realized I am social media illiterate, and I am not afraid to say that anymore. But you know how to edit a podcast, so. That is true. I can go, good. oh, they're saying, um, I'm going to get rid of that, right? Oh, I did it. Yay. Yeah. Guys, I am a uh, quick recap because I haven't been on air in two weeks. Uh, last week, I thought I was going to die with 103 fever and hand, foot, mouth. Uh, yesterday... Drove. That sounds miserable, by the way. It was. That's pretty uh, hot. Yesterday, I had lunch with Lucas Stuber in Pittsburgh and then drove back to Cincinnati and did not realize there were tornadoes happening on the western part of the state as I drove around them. And uh, Is all okay with your family and friends there, Matt? We, we are good. I checked in with all my friends and family uh, up in the Dayton area. And uh, I had a couple of friends. Actually, Trotwood is one of the areas that got uh, really hit hard. And Trotwood Madison High School is where I cut my teeth as a young SLP. 
So my heart goes out because I saw a couple of the apartment buildings uh, absolutely devastated uh, that some of my family members, or not family, but some of my students' families uh, would have lived in, or they did live in there uh, a couple years ago. So I reached out to some of my teacher friends. They're doing okay. Uh, Betty Gales uh, is one of the former intervention specialists I rock or worked with, and she's rocking it as a Trotwood Council member uh, out on the streets helping people uh, dig out from from the devastation. So uh, I'm pretty yeah. glad, I'm happy that everyone I know is kind of making it out okay. I, I feel terrible for those that have not, um, but I'm glad you brought that up, Michelle, because. That has sparked what we are starting here over at Speech Science. Uh, if you go to the website emergency.speechsciencepodcast.com, that'll take you directly to our Facebook group. Uh, basically, SLPs helping SLPs. Uh, if you are an SLP who has ever had a natural disaster or a fire or something that has happened where you lost all your therapy materials, you know how desperate and devastating it can be. Uh, so we are deciding to start a group where if that happens to you, you can make a post on the Facebook page and hopefully we will have a national, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, a national chain of people that might be able to help rebuild your therapy area. So, Very nice. Yeah. Much needed. So that is my last 48 hours in a nutshell. Michael, how's yours been? Uh, it's been good. Uh, did, uh, I was able to see some family this weekend. That was a really, really good weekend. I'm a big fan of Memorial Day weekend. Uh, then had some friends over yesterday uh, and barbecued a little bit. So it was nice. It was a nice, it was a good three day weekend to kind of, to kind of reset as the school year winds down and things get so busy for us, whether you're a school SLP, private practice or SNF. Uh, this is a real busy time for all of us. So it's a, it's a good weekend to kind of, uh, recognize that summer's around the corner and uh we have a life outside of work as well now will you for your therapies that you missed yesterday will you combine them in this week or will they just be a missed therapy visit uh it depends it, uh okay. some some families are able to reschedule some just shoot for next week uh it's really it, it's really an individual basis and michelle i know memorial day is is more dedicated to those that do not make it home but you are married to a wonderful U.S. hero himself. How was your Memorial Day weekend? Ah, it's always a good time to remember the fallen soldiers um, and, and a time to just be with family and, and be grateful for what we have, right? Let's clarify. Your husband has is still alive. My husband is alive <laughs> and um uh, no, we had a we had a very relaxing Memorial Day weekend. We did actually head up to Ohio to see um, my mom. She's recouping from a knee replacement. And um, for anybody out there listening, I know that that is a, a tough recovery, but we were happy to see her and um, have a little family time and, you know, be grateful for what, what we have in this country, right? That um, is awesome. And then also, I haven't talked to you guys. I wrapped up that hippotherapy part That's one, right. level one training in Nashville a week ago. And two things. One, it was my first nights away from my son. Aww. Which is a big step for a first-time mom. <laughs> Three nights away from my 10-month-old. And, of course, Dad and him did fantastic. And Of course um, they did. Yep. And we... Uh, I missed him a lot. The first night I was good. Second night I was good. By the third night I was, I was missing him. And Aww. that's... Uh, you know, you got to do it at some point. So I think this was a good age to 
to step away. Uh, plus, the training was fantastic. Lots of hands-on. I'm hoping I'll be able to interview someone from the American Hippotherapy Association for the podcast. I uh, learned a lot from an OT and a PT who were leading it, but there were actually quite a few SLPs. And I found out that the president of the American Hippotherapy Association is also an SLP. So there are a lot of SLPs, PTs, and OTs out there using hippotherapy using horses as a tool in their therapy which is i'm glad i'm glad you're able to step away from your son for just a little bit Uh, i always love going on trips away from my kids for the first uh 24 maybe 36 hours and then i feel terribly sad and disappointed that i'm not with them but my question now is can you ride a horse into therapy could i ride a horse into therapy right because that's what the training was right Oh, you well, ride a I horse mean, through therapy and, and do all that? I mean, I'm not therapizing the horse for, for the Obviously, <laughs> but I just want to know if you could wire it into your like cl- like client's like room. You could just show up on a horse, throw him onto the back, and then just do therapy while you mosey through the backwoods of Kentucky. Hey, I that would be pretty fantastic. But um, for the most part, hippotherapy when it's involved in a speech therapy session is is in a um in a contained space (laughs) in a corral of some sort often inside in an arena and it's not always on the horse so the patient can do things off of the horse as well because there's you know therapy is of course not just on the horse it it involves speech language therapy otherwise and the horse is a a tool in that process michael do you do anything with therapy animals or anything um i have a couple i've had two clients like bring like their cat to the session like personal or therapy cat personal that's awesome that's about it that's really that's the extent of it Hmm. it was just like it was just like a nice little thing and the cat just walked around it really had nothing nothing to do with the therapy at all cool yeah i like it Yep. All right, com- coming up today, we're going to talk a little bit about an article out of the Cincinnati Children's uh, website about SLPs helping a daughter recover from a stroke. Also out of Rutgers, uh, reading with toddlers reduces harsh parenting, maybe. But starting off first today, coming out of the ASHA Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research, uh, this by Susan McLaughlin, John Thorne, Tracy Jerkowick, Tiffany Waddington, and Adrian C. Lee. Oh, and Susan Astley Hemingway. Listening difficulties in children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, more than a problem of audibility. Uh, this looked at the overall that I guess uh, evidence suggests that prenatal alcohol exposure may result in auditory dysfunction, including uh, loss of audibility and the impaired processing. And they wanted to look at the nexus between the atypical auditory behavior and underlying auditory dysfunction. So we're looking at conclusions, including that children with fetal alcohol syndrome, but not fetal fetal alcohol syndrome disorders. So they're saying a more narrow pool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. may be at particular risk for hearing loss. Okay. Yeah, this is this is an int- very interesting study to to really. Um, I never really even knew the connection between these two, uh, in terms of fetal alcohol syndrome. Uh, it's it's something that I've never come across uh, in my time as, as a speech pathologist. But this this just goes to show you the benefits of reading the most up to date research and looking on that ASHA wire because 
now this is one thing I could always keep in mind if this ever pops up for me. And I can think of multiple kids who I've evaluated who had a history of fetal alcohol and that wasn't a connection that I was aware of either. Do you guys have a lot of FAS students on your current caseload? Zero. Have you ever worked with any? Nope. My, uh, Michelle? I have, yes. Okay. What has your been experience with it? And then does it mirror some of this a little bit or? I mean, I, it's only been a, uh, I could think of three or four kids that I've worked with over the years, but, um, there has been some difficulty with attention and memory. And that was part of why they were receiving speech language therapy. Well, the article states that uh, although children with FAS exhibit a higher than normal prevalence of hearing loss, it is listening difficulties in the absence of hearing loss, likely related to the super threshold processing deficits. Uh, the difficulties are impactful, affecting life function adversely and potentially contributing to difficulties with linguistic exchange or social interaction are likely widespread. So there you go, Michelle, kind of going with what you were saying. Maybe it's not so much the attention. Maybe it's just the, the processing. Mm-hmm, which is a really, I mean, it, it's really interesting because now I'm, I'm thinking back to these kids that I saw several years ago mm -hmm. and wondering if um, the hearing piece could be a part of that. I often wonder when we look at students, you know, with FAS or with autism or just kids that kind of ping on your, your radar, you know, it, it's hard to determine if it's an attention, if it's receptive language or if it's a, a hearing. And, and I know, have you guys heard of the COPD or not COPD? Wow. Central auditory processing, uh, CAPD. Um, Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Auditory processing. Uh, have you guys heard of like any battles on that side? Because I know in my area of the world, in my little scope of the neighborhood, it's always a controversy on if it's a true auditory processing delay disorder or if it's just receptive language or if it's both. Yeah, I've, I've heard that several times from many people. You know, some people want to say that the the, the CAPD doesn't even exist. It's not even a real thing. It's a receptive language thing. It's a comprehension thing. And this just, just further brings us back to, to diagnostics. How can we do the differential diagnosis and how can we sort these things out? Because, you know, the, the sooner we know the root cause, the easier our therapies can be and more targeted and more productive they can be. Uh, you, you know, maybe I have worked with a student that had FAS and I didn't know it because it was diagnosed as something else. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many other things going on here in terms of auditory, receptive behavior, everything. Uh, ADHD, you know, I've worked with so many ADHD students. Maybe some of it was due to, to FAS. Uh, you, you know, the more, the more we can improve on the diagnostic sides of things, uh, the better our therapies will be. Hearing loss is a, sorry, looking at this article, six, uh, 16-fold, 40% more likely in FAS versus FASDs. Um, and then also, Michelle, kind of going back to what you said, uh, a large proportion of children with FASDS exhibit atypical higher order, order auditory behaviors involving attending to or tuning out sound stimuli as measured by caregiver ratings on the auditory filtering domain of the SSP. So there's your attention mm -hmm. and learning piece. I, I love the brain guys. I really do. And, and it breaks my heart when stuff like this happens and 
you know, we have a student or a child that, that develops FAS or, you know, is born with FAS and the brain reacts in this way. I, I just, it, it kind of makes what, when typical things happen, we are, it's awe-inspiring. Sorry, mm-hmm. I got off on a tangent there. Oh, it's okay. And just to clarify, when we say FAS is fetal alcohol syndrome, and then mm-hmm. it sounds like FASD is a broader scope of fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome um, deficits or diagnosis? Uh, yeah, with the feet, uh, the physical features as well. Okay, gotcha. Um, PFAS is partial FAS. FAS is fetal alcohol syndrome. And... Uh, FASD, uh, the ND is neurobehavioral disorder, AE is alcohol exposed, SE is static encephalopathy, A is alcohol exposed. And then uh, it and looks then like the FASD. Diagnostic fizzle. Okay, so FASDs in general is just mm-hmm. fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as an umbrella over those specific ones that you mentioned. Correct. Okay. So, so kind of like autism spectrum now, how it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So... Thanks for clarifying. Just wanted to make sure. We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can always phone call us or text us. I have no idea what a phone call us would be, but 614-681-1798 or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you would like to talk to Michael and Michelle, it's hashtag SSPod or Michael and I's SSPod for life. That's right. <laughs> for the pit life the page is too sweet too sweet hey speaking (laughs) of uh if you are an slp of boys or girls that are involved that like this kind of stuff there is a new wrestling thing that you need to know about and it's called all elite wrestling aew so what is is that it was started by guys who were in the wwe and they are now starting their own thing and it's going to be on TNT. And I can already see in the fall, a lot of my therapy discussions are going to have to happen around the AEW because former WWE wrestlers, gold dust and Cody Rhodes uh, are now over there. Chris Jericho's over there. The young bucks, uh, Dean Ambrose, all of them. So really? Yep. I just, I found that out this weekend and I went, Oh, that's going to be on my therapy topics. I can already tell. I was thinking of your for life and other, you know, slang terms that we use. We're aging <laughs> yeah. ourselves very quickly. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> because Matt, you you got to meet my 19-year-old sister-in-law real briefly yes. before we started yes. recording. And she actually, this is pretty awesome, especially for a military family who moves around. She's from South Carolina but is actually doing an internship through the Army Cadet Command where they send ROTC rising seniors for training over the summer. Yeah. Studying PR, public relations. So she is doing a a public affairs internship here this summer. So she is down the road just a few miles away all summer, which is fantastic. And she is keeping me up to date on some of the new terms that I should know. (laughs) Tell us. Tell us a term. Well, I hope she's listening because I just gave her all the podcast info. So this is fantastic. Mary-Kate, if you're listening. Um, my favorite <laughs> that she uses all the time is just the statement of, if you think something is hilarious, is you say, I'm dead. Oh, yeah. I'm dead. I'm, <laughs> I'm, dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Uh, I'm getting old. I don't want to be old. But if but- I say that, it feels forced. It's just not, we're not working for, for me. 
<laughs> there's an episode of Parks and Rec where uh, Ben goes to Washington, D.C., and he's trying to connect with all of like the young interns. And he's like, yo, bros, let's all go play with the, what is it, like the, the Frisbees and their ultimate Frisbeeing it up on the courtyard. And you can tell that he's old. So, but a part of being old is being a parent and not sleeping. But there was a study coming out of the Journal of Developmental Behavioral Pediatrics. And if you read the article from Rutgers, it says reading with toddlers reduces harsh parenting, enhances child behavior. Rutgers led study finds. But we all know that's not the truth. Going to the article, it basically says parents who read to their kids are less likely to also be harsh parents. So basically reading to your kids makes everyone a better person. Not exactly. <laughs> Evidently. But if you read to your kids, you are a good person. So Oh, so that's all you have to do. Uh, yeah. So basically it said that uh, if you share, did shared readings between the ages of one and three, 34% and 52% of mothers reported daily readings, uh, and they were less likely to do what they would call harsh parenting. Oh. How do okay. they define harsh parenting? I know you would ask that. That was a, uh, let's see, generalized estimating questions to account for repeated observations, da, 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 da. Uh, basically spankings and yellings, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they also said that mothers who read frequently with their children reported fewer disruptive behaviors from their children, which could explain or partially explain the reduction in harsh parenting. So here's my question. Could you change a bad parent into a good parent by having them read daily to their kids? Apparently. I think that is a question for a PhD right there. It there is. You go. It is. Uh, shared reading predicted less harsh parenting in a national urban sample. These findings suggest that shared reading contributes to an important aspect of the parent-child relationship and that some of the association operates through enhanced child behaviors. I feel like there's so many offshoot studies you could do from this. Mm -hmm. like take this information because you're talking about quality time with a parent. You're sitting down one-on-one. -on -one, you're close with them. They're sitting on your lap. You're both attending to the same thing. There's a lot of other factors, too, psychologically that are at play there that could tie into behavior and parenting. Well, oh, sorry, Michael. What were you going to say? I was going to say, like, what would happen if it were only, like, Berenstain Bear books? <laughs> Is that your what favorite was, from childhood? What if, it was, what if it was only one genre? So and as what, a, would, what would be the effects of that? As a parent who had to spend, no joke, almost three solid months reading the Pout Pout Fish, uh, I, I would predict harsher parenting eventually. <laughs> no, but you know what? You though, talked I mean, about that book, man, nice. on I one did. of your interviews, and I don't know it. I looked it up after I heard your interview. The Pout, I'm a Pout Pout Fish with a Pout Pout Face. Spreading the jury wearies all over the place. <laughs> you don't have that memorized at all. <laughs> no. And that's blub, why that's why blub, your kids never pout. Blub, right? Because it, at the end, it's a kiss-kiss face so because he was upside down. But no, like, I often wonder, like, am I, I, I struggle this with as a parent. And Michelle, I don't know if you, you do as well or not. But I often struggle if I'm doing enough reading. And a couple weeks ago, we had the million word gap with reading. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I'm not afraid to say that, like, I'll send my kids to the corner very often 
but I often wonder if I'm doing enough because, you know, you don't want to mess up your kid, but it's interesting to hear that spending just a little bit of time reading is a predictor that you're probably not a terrible parent. I think that's just one of those things as a parent where unless you're literally doing it for an hour a night, you're always going to be telling yourself, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. It's one of those things that you never feel satisfied. You never feel like you're spending enough time or using that time appropriately. Cause there's a million other things you have to do. You have to feed them, give them the appropriate nutrition and get them the exercise and help them with their academics. You know, as long as you're doing it and you're, you know, you're doing it uh, consistently and it's an enjoyable time, like Michelle was talking about, you're sitting on the lap, you're attending, you're asking questions, you're describing the pictures. As long as you're doing it and advancing it each and every time, you're, you're, you're doing your job. And I think we, we bring up a similar topic in a way talking about burnout with SLPs, right? We always feel like SLPs are not a job that you can truly clock out from. We're always trying to figure something out for our patients. We're always trying to figure something out for that next student or the next IEP or the next um, patient at the nursing home that you're working with. And now you throw in, you're an SLP and a parent. We're every part of our life. We're thinking, wait a second, am I doing enough? I could be doing more. I'm doing too much at work and not enough at home. I'm doing too much at home and not enough at work. And You've, you got to give yourself a little bit of grace there, Matt, because I think there's probably a lot of listeners who can relate on both of those fronts. And like the article said, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can and we're reading is something that we can do, even if it's pout pout fish every <laughs> single day. On the other side of the break, we're going to read a little bit or hear a little bit from Cincinnati Children's on recovery from a stroke. And also, what is Texas A&M doing to help those with disabilities? But we want to hear from you first. So make sure you head over to our website. That is podcast or speechsciencepodcast.com. And you can always email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. During the break, make sure you check out our iTunes, rate and review us, and head over to Emergency dot speech science podcast dot com we'll be right back you're listening to speech science do you have an idea for a product or book or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations well how do you get started and what if you don't have any business experience at all well i have some great news for you I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot. Episode number 80. Joined, as always, hippotherapy trained Michelle Wintering. Just part one, level one. I'm well, getting there. <laughs> whatever. Same thing. <laughs> and not hippotherapy trained, but I have been told Fortnite trained Michael McLeod. What's up, dude? Hey, Did you get hey, a certificate you... for that, Mike? No. Aw. Mike, <laughs> I want you to build your private practice in Fortnite. I can't. I can't. I'm so sick and tired of hearing that word and talking about that game. 
It's ridiculous. It's Dude, insane. I have an idea. I have an idea. I have an idea. Hear me out. Do you okay? have an idea, Matt? I have an idea. Hear me out. What if you built your private practice in Fortnite and then did teletherapy from inside your Fortnite built private practice? What? <laughs> <laughs> like inception of therapy yeah so basically you build your therapy office and then your kids from their homes walk their little Fortnite characters to your Fortnite therapy clinic and then you do therapy with them while they're in the game there's way too many steps for this man so basically we have kids that are obsessed with the game and what we, what we want to do is we want to tailor the therapy to make it more like the game when you put it like that, it does not sound as good of an idea. It was always a bad idea. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I hate all of you. So moving on into something I do like, uh, coming out of Cincinnati Children's, uh, uh, let's see, this lady, I'm trying to find her name and I lost it. Did she put her name to this? She has not, but she talks about uh, her daughter having a stroke. Leela was 18 years old uh, when she suffered a stroke, and she talks about her SLP, uh, Stephanie. And Stephanie worked uh, her therapy settings around what was important to Leela, and, and it's just kind of a nice little reminder of what we do and why we do it. And why it's important and the people that it helps. I love it. Well, and, and let's talk a little bit about stroke symptoms in general. And, and they don't just happen in older adults. It, it's young people having strokes at an alarming rate. Yeah, I just saw the uh, the Cavaliers owner just had a stroke. You saw that? No, I did not see that. Yeah, uh, Dan Gilbert. Yeah. He's a young guy. Yeah, he's like in his late thir- 40s. Yeah, and he, he I, I think it was a minor one. I know he was attentive and okay in the hospital, but still very alarming. The average age currently is 65 and older for stroke. However, as many as 10% of the people in the U.S. experience a stroke are younger than the age of 45. Hmm, 10% are younger than 45. Uh, common symptoms, uh, just as a recovery or like a, a re- review, uh, speech, facial or loss of speech, facial droop, and weakness on one side of the body. Uh, also, vision loss, double vision, slurred speech, dizziness, or difficulty walking. And it sounds like from this article that her parent who wrote this is a, a registered nurse. So when she her first signs were having difficulty understanding her professors and remembering simple words. Uh, risk factors in young people: diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and cigarette smoking can lead to it certain heart and hematologic conditions also uh, can be considered and uh, let's see Uh, when appropriate some patients are given a clot dissolving medicine Uh, according to the stanford healthcare it may be more productive in younger people than it is in older people Hmm. interesting But you know what, though? I mean, like, if we have young people suffering from strokes, I feel like we may be putting too much stress on on them in and, and certain situations. Or am I just crazy talking? Because we're having a higher number of people? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if you think about it, we are not a healthy group. We, you know, tell kids 18 years old that they need to go figure out where they want to go to college. 
we put an exceptional amount of stroke or amount of pressure on them that a high blood pressure uh, TIA, it, it could be pretty common. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm already starting to get to the point that I look back or I think about my son growing up and the, the different world and the different stressors that he's going to mm-hmm. have. I don't know how we could show that, but because there's going to be the the environmental factors, not just stress as well, that we're, we're looking at for a higher number of, of younger strokes. But hey. Therapy. Oh, sorry. Uh, but hey, I just love the whole few paragraphs in this article on her beginning speech language pathology and how important it was for her to work on reading and writing and recall and game exercises for her and how the SLP kept it interesting and fun. And again, this is kind of, I know I mentioned earlier about AEW. I think I I spent some time today talking to Dr. Uh, Sheree Robertson, the uh, ASHA president. And she said her motto for this whole year was imagination and trying to be the better therapist who can make therapy interesting. I mean, I I suffer from it. I don't know about you guys, but if I've had a day where I've seen six or seven adults and eight children, by the time I get to that last patient, I've done therapy 15, 16 times during the day and Mm -hmm. I'm bored. But for that one patient, this is the first time they're getting me. Yeah, your 6 p.m. patient in a clinic or your 7 p.m. patient somewhere else or your last kid of the day at school. It can be hard to be the most creative, imaginative SLP that you can be. Michael, how do you fight that? I've always thought about that. I remember being in high school and like when you have uh, separate teachers for every separate class uh, and there's some teachers that are literally doing the same history lesson, the same science lesson at the beginning of the day, the middle of the three times in the middle of the day, and then at the end of the day for the final period. And I remember being a teenager and thinking to myself, like, wow, they, they must be so exhausted saying the exact same thing, answering the same questions five times a day on the same exact lesson. And that's the exact same thing. The, the exact same thing is you, you, we run into that, and sometimes it's quadrupled because it's therapy. It's, it's individualized. It's planning for the individual, not for a class. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get to that final that final person, uh, you know, whether you have to have the kind of session where you're up and moving around and you're walking, uh, you're getting some sort of uh, physical engagement going, you're having a catch or you're playing some sort of uh, physical game where you're up and moving and getting your blood flowing. That's the most important thing, especially as we get older, is we have to have some sort of physical activity involved in the sessions. That brain gym kind of piece. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I always have the hardest time with therapy right after lunch. Oh yeah. Where it's warm and my belly's full of way too many high sugars that need to be broken down. And our kids have a hard time with that time too. Oh my gosh. It's like, Oh, okay. Let's go do this. Let's go do this right now. When we all want a siesta. (laughs) That would be awesome. We want to hear from you. Do you have an SLP success story or are you finding ways to, uh, keep in therapy interesting head over to our website speechsciencepodcast.com phone call 614-681-1798 or text us on the same number 614-681-1798 and that email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or hashtag sspod on all of the instagrams and twitters are we on snapchat we should be on snapchat 
I said that, but you said, I don't know anything about Snapchat. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but Michelle, you are now in charge of creating the, uh, the speech science Snapchat. All right. Our last article coming out of the Texas A&M University. Uh, Aggie Achieve Academic Courses in Higher, higher inclusion, Inclusive Education and Vocational Experiences. It's a four-year inclusive higher education program for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Uh, Michelle, I believe you said Cincinnati has a course similar to this? I know the University of Cincinnati does. I'm not sure details on it. I do know based on this article, which is pretty cool, that this is the first of its kind in Texas. And I just, it's a feel good story that I was very excited about because it gives people who are maybe, like we talked in a, a previous um, episode, not neurotypical or um, have some other disability or challenge that they're overcoming a chance to attend college and make those friendships and make those bonds and have an academic course tailored to them um, to get an alternative um, degree of some sort from that university. And I just thought this was pretty cool. And I worked prior to being an SLP and taking those leveling courses to take this route in my professional life. I worked as a job coach with Goodwill Industries. So I worked with a lot of people. Did you really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. So I worked with a lot of individuals, young adults in particular, with various developmental disabilities. And something like this could have really been a match for some of them. Yeah, this this is absolutely awesome. So big, big props to Texas A&M for doing something like this. This is so sorely, sorely needed. And for a major college to be doing this and not a not a smaller college or a, or a college forming a nonprofit, which creates another outside program. This is for young adults with, with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities that are able to truly be a part of Texas A&M on campus, having that college experience, and for them to create this entire program just to help, just to help this group this is huge. This is absolutely huge. And hopefully, uh, um, like Michelle said, it's one of the first of its kind, but hopefully every other major college, large college will follow in their footstep and create something like this because this is so sorely needed. Uh, you know, we, we as SLPs are always talking about these IEPs, but IEPs run out and kids, mm -hmm. age, kids age out of IEPs and what's next. And families are completely lost because insurances aren't helping no one's helping. There's not that many job coaches out there that are able to tailor to the individual. This looks like exactly what so many parents need. So I hope this is, this is only just the beginning for what this is. And I do know I did pull it up, Matt. The University of Cincinnati has um, the TAP program. Which oh, okay. Is transition and access program is a four-year college education for students with mild to moderate intellectual or developmental disabilities, and they earn a university-recognized certificate upon completion of the four-year program. So there are other universities doing it. If you know some, hashtag send it to us. We'd love to hear about them. But yeah. I hope that this continues to grow at other large universities and small. I love it. All right, guys, let's send this thing home. What's coming up in the next week that is fun and or exciting? Uh, Michelle, you lead the exciting life. You start us off. My other little sister-in-law is graduating high school, and we're going How to How many sister-in-laws do you have? Um, on my husband's side, I have two. <laughs> and my brothers are both married, so I have two on my side. 
Okay. But oh, then fair. my brothers-in-law are married, so I have two more on my husband's side. <laughs> Jeez, Opeetsies, I'm confused already. <laughs> uh, so you're going to a high school graduation. That's I awesome. I am, because my husband has two younger sisters that are much younger, as you can tell. Hmm. Fair enough. Michael, what's fun and or exciting for you? Um, one of the schools I work at is having their uh, Spirit Week next week, uh, which is basically the week after finals. So I plan on stopping by over there and uh, playing some sports with some of the kids. So that'd be really nice. Uh, really just preparing for the end of the year, finals uh, for a lot of my students. And uh, and yeah, just wrapping things up. Make sure you put that KT tape all over your shoulders and hold them in place, just like the professional basketball players, man. Of course. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow I'll be interviewing the Arizona superintendent and SLP who was elected into that position uh, and getting ready to go to Disney World here in two weeks. So that is up for me. Back to Disney. Look at you. Going to Disney multiple times. That is what has happened in my life. I have somehow either won the jackpot or failed miserably that Disney is now a regular stop in the hot household. I don't think you could have failed if you're going to Disney World again. My bank account thinks I do, but <laughs> uh, our intro music today was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock by John Deku, copyrighted John Deku. You can find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. And he's married to an SLP. That makes him pretty cool. And our closing music, Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow life will throw you uh, curveballs and make it difficult and you'll want to be an oak but unfortunately the oak will break in a storm the willow will bend and return to form uh, once the emergency has passed we ask you to head over to emergency.com or emergency.speechsciencepodcast.com check out what we're doing to slps helping slps and also make sure you rate and review us on itunes did i miss anything else guys hashtag sspod Make it trend. Can we make it trend? Is that a thing? Go of ask your 19-year-old daughter, sister-in-law if I've said that correctly. Yeah, not, not daughter. Not daughter. <laughs> we can For... definitely make it trend, 100%. SS Pod, we want a trend. She's on the social media team here, so I, I need to get her into this. Yes, tell her we want 200 reviews by the end of summer. We are at 60. So, speech science listeners, make sure you go and uh, do that. For Michael McLeod, I almost said Michelle McLeod and Michael Wintering. I am so sorry. Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod. I'm Matt Hot. So long, everybody. Bye. So long. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.